0: Hello, and welcome to Fairy and Fantasy Class 20. Today we finish, mostly, with Andrew Lang, concentrating on Rapunzel, Snowdrop, and the tantalizingly Tolkien-relevant, The Enchanted Ring. Okay, good morning. My iPod having finally permitted me to sign in. Um, I want to start off saying a couple things about the papers, uh, for... I want to say a few things about the papers. Um... Uh, first, let me start with a suggestion. I think I've suggested this before, but I wanted to suggest it again. Um, remember the overall thing that I want you to be doing in this paper is to be looking at, you know, I, I, talked at the beginning of, of our Lang discussion, um, you know, that we're jumping forward 500 years. And in essence, what I want you to be doing in this paper is to be looking at what is still the same, what has changed in the 500 years that we have skipped, okay, um, So I want you to be sort of comparing and contrasting the 19th century stuff with the medieval stuff. But I don't want mere generalizations. Don't just kind of, you know, bloviate, to use one of my favorite verbs, about, you know, like the medieval things in general and the Victorian stuff in general. Uh, In fact, if you don't use the word Victorian at all, I'll be happier. Um, But I... My suggestion, therefore, what I what I would like you to be doing is I would like you to be talking about specific things. I would like you to be doing some <coughs> specific analysis. I would like you to choose something specific to look at. My suggestion, my recommendation, is that you try to try to do a careful analysis of no more than two works. Three might be possible. More than three would be really pushing it and likely get really superficial. That is one of it. the paper is short. Again, we're talking about a three to four page paper, so. Um, you're not going to have much time to do more than really like choose either you know a, a, a particular and narrow theme, uh, you know in Lang and in the medieval stuff and compare them or whatever you can choose a particular story which has some interesting overlap and, and, and connect the two. But the more specific is your focus in the paper, the better off it's likely to be and you're likely to be, I would say, Christine. Did you say two stories per period or total? Total. Total would be my recommendation. Total. Um, we're Three to four pages. There's not much room. Um, again, I'm not saying, I, I, please understand, I'm not passing a law. I'm not saying this is what you have to do. It's just a suggestion. It's a recommendation. That would be the simplest, cleanest thing to do. Um, if you do more, I mean, if you were trying to look at, like, three different Lang stories and connect it to two of the different medieval poems... I mean, if you just break that down, you know, break your three pages, three to four pages down there, you're talking about like one paragraph on each one, and you're unlikely to do much, to be able to do much more than some really superficial analysis that way. So that's why I recommend against that. I can imagine a topic which says, you know, I'm really interested in this one particular element, um, the representation of waterfowl, for instance a joke. There aren't so many waterfowl in the medieval stuff. But anyway, you get the, I mean, if, if, if there's some particular thing, some particular element, which, which therefore would bridge more than one story, but it's sufficiently focused enough that you can talk about that element in a couple different stories without having to, you know, sort of be backing up and waving your hands vaguely at stuff, that's also fine. Simpler, cleaner, easier. Choose two stories between which you can see some connections, do some comparison and contrast, draw some suggestive conclusions. Uh, you're unlikely to be, I say suggestive because you're unlikely to be able to prove anything. It's not like the conclusion of this paper is going to be therefore I have definitively demonstrated that this is the difference between the medieval period and the 19th century. I mean, you're not going to be able to do that. But you can, what you can do in a, in a paper like this, in analysis like this, is to say here here is a suggestive thing that we can notice. You know, here is here is. Something which, you know, is definitely kind of worth looking at. This seems to point at <coughs> a thing. Um, that, that you can do. Some kind of definite pointing at a thing, I think, would be excellent. Any questions? One other thing you will notice is that, unlike with Sir Gowan and the Green Knight, I have this paper due at the end of our discussion of Lang, uh, rather than prior to the last day, Uh, One, there are two advantages to this. One is that you will not have the experience, which many of you uh, have reported having with Sir Gown and the Green Knight, where you write your paper, come into class the next day and feel like I am asserting that your paper was wrong in retrospect. Um, The other advantage that you will have is that you will have today, and today only, as your final opportunity to bring up in our discussion together some of these ideas that you might want to be looking at. would be a good way to kind of float some of these things, because in just a minute I'm about to ask a pretty open-ended question about themes that you might be interested in talking about in the Lang stories and any connections you may or may not want to make with the medieval poems. So I just thought I would tell you, I think that would be an excellent opportunity for you to raise some of these things that you're thinking about and kind of, you know, see how it goes. So, what were some themes that you noticed or have been thinking about <laughs> in the like, blank stories uh, and the medieval poems that we've read? Thoughts? Yeah, yeah, Doreen. Well, basically the intro players changed. I mean, i obviously you know the ones that were more, that are more to record more, more, more law um, and
1: basically they not move
0: out. I think that that's a really interesting point. It's something we talked about right at the very beginning. On the first day when we came in to talk about lying, was the first thing uh, that anybody said. You know, the representation of the fairies is different. You know, when we, the first time, well, the first time in the stories that we read, when we see, you know, the fairies show up as the invited guests at the party for Sleeping Beauty, um, you know, sort of the christening party that they're having, um, that's... You know, we were noticing what a different world we seem to be in there, uh, to what we were in the medieval poems. Now, after 15 stories, we haven't talked about that in a while. Where do you think we are now? What kind of trends do we see? What kind of continuities do we see just in the representation of the fairy characters themselves? The actual, the actual fairy figures that we meet. One thing that I noticed is the kind of <laughs> casual identification of them, right? The number of times that we've seen people or, or the narrator say things like, and thus he knew that she was a fairy, right? Oh, you must be a fairy, right? That's, nobody really talked like that. Neither narrator nor character in the medieval poems really talked like that. One small observation. Cat, what were you? Um, I
2: was- I was noticing that there was quite a dichotomy. There was either like, the fairy is very good and she helps out, or she's, she or he is evil, than an ogress or an ogre witch and wants to eat or kill the children.
0: Good, yeah. Even to sort of add to that, the kind of subdivision that we seem to have, um, that is the witches and the giants and the dwarfs and the ogres, um, in addition to those... Characters who are simply identified as fairies um, has well. I was about to say complicated the landscape, but I'm not sure that's true. Simplified in some ways, right? I mean, when you meet an ogre, you know what you're getting, right? When you meet a remarkably beautiful and wealthy woman in the forest in a medieval poem, you don't necessarily know what you're getting or what has gotten you. Um, yeah. Well. Uh, I would just say, um, there was more. I mean, it's
3: kind of the same point, but uh, there was more variation there. Instead of just the beautiful, the incredibly beautiful people, you
2: get like Rumpelstiltskin and people who are with different
0: physical features, different types of hair. Yeah. Yeah. And I Rumpelstiltskin is a good example. Um, You know, here I was just sort of suggesting that, in a sense, we have them sort of pegged into different categories, which does kind of make things easier, but not trivial. And I think that's important to remember. Rumpelstiltskin. He's bad, sort of, but he's not like ogre bad. He's not like I have, like you know, the irresistible desire to eat children. He may, in fact, be planning to eat the child, but we don't know for sure whether he's eating the child. And his actions are not simply malevolent. Um, and certainly, we get a lot of variety in dwarves, especially. I mean, of all the like subcategories of vaguely humanoid, but magically-based characters that we've met in these stories, Dwarf seem to me one of the most complicated, All right? Um, we've had some really good ones, some really cranky ones, some really uncertain ones. Um, yeah, Jordan? One thing I've noticed is the a variety of ways from
3: the classification of their events um, and... Which is really the change in motivation. The theories have become a lot more mundane. They become part of this world. But even in the middle, we are thinking in terms of that have not been invented yet, because beyond the fields we you know, there in that era of theory, there was like this other world that you visited, but never fully executed. And that's, I don't think that's the case at all in those language stories. The, the theories are coming here, they'll be coming up there the world, but not coming up
0: Yeah, even when we see the overlap, like with Fall, right, where he he can basically summon her anytime he's alone, and he calls for her, and she'll come. There's still this sense of like this kind of parallel world that they're in. The two worlds don't touch until the moment where Triamore herself humbly, self-sacrificially enters it. Right, and displays herself. Um reaching out to? Yes. He's not summoning; he's reaching out, calling a whole theory to Right. Not just to arrive, but he's
3: alone, so he might as well be going out there from any perspective.
0: Right. No, exactly. Whereas I agree, the fairies are, in a sense, far more integrated, at least in the way that they're talked about. Um, now, that's not like they're totally integrated. Like, you know, you've got like the fairies setting up their shops on the street with the blacksmiths and the, and the cobblers. But, but I agree, there isn't that same, sense of, that same sense of mystery. And in part, one of the things I would point to, though, it, it might seem a little bit silly at first, is the, just the change in location. That is, we don't only meet fairies in the middle of the forests anymore. Um, they they're all over the place. We still do sometimes meet them in forests, like in Beauty and the Beast, uh, like in uh, um, blanking the last, or like like in the Enchanted Ring, right? But we don't. That, it's not exclusive. There's not this their society, their culture is completely separated, right? and you have to leave humanity behind, and at least temporarily in order to find them or in order for them well, okay, not necessarily in order for them to find you ask Corotus about that, but um, anyway um, I think that that's an interesting shift they're just kind of hanging out, again, like the like the party uh, for Sleeping Beauty
2: Aaron, I found it interesting, going off the parallel worlds, the only mention in you know, all the stories, that uh, all the Lane stories we've read, that we've gotten of another world is in Jack and the Beanstalk where it says the castle is on the borders of Fairyland, and that's like the, uh, I searched. That's the only refer- direct reference we have to a fairyland that might parallel Longfall or Orpheo.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. The only other thing I can think of, and it's not exactly fairyland, is the remote distance from which the good, kindly fairy is summoned back for the assistance of Sleeping Beauty when she falls asleep, and they send for her, and like the guy with the seven-league boots goes like striding away, Across the earth to where she is, and then she comes, you know, whipping back in her chariot drawn by dragons. She's far away, but not, not in the same way. She's she's geographically removed, um, and you have to go really far to find where she's hanging out. But but I agree that e- even that is not at all the same. Doesn't feel at all the same. Jess?
4: I feel like to some extent in the medieval literature, we are given enough about each um, individual fairy that we can kind of we can figure out where they came from to a certain extent or what they're supposed to represent or mean, as opposed to, like, her fairy godmother, a fairy. Like that, oh, I'm sorry, that comes on very quickly for me, and I don't, um, like, from where, what what does she do, that kind of thing. So I feel like it's more specific in the medieval, or or more is available to us to understand the person. Yeah, and it's not like we're given,
0: you know, like, the personal background of each. But I agree, there's, we don't get this sense of like, and now all of a sudden, like, the fairy godmother leaps out of the closet. We have no idea. That's an excellent example with Cinderella's godmother. We have no idea where she comes from. I mean, it's just, I mean, yeah, yeah. And I think we see that kind of thing a lot. And, and you know, you can say that a similar kind of thing happens, um, such as in The Enchanted Ring, again, where we get this sort of sudden um, you know, a guy is down on his luck. He has been wronged, and pop, here's a fairy with a magic ring who says, "I shall give you this blessing." But even that feels more medieval than Cinderella does, right? She, yeah, she has more of a connection. It makes a little bit more sense. Not that I think Cinderella is nonsensical, but it definitely is operating differently. Mac? I'd like to
3: go back to the classification of fairies, though. It seems as though the uh, it might be an implementation on a large scale of the idea that naming something gives you power over it, and that we've classified uh, all the different like, members of the fairy phylum. We're, <laughs> right. we, we're better able to deal with them as equals, and in length, or if we see people making deals with fairies, like actual deals in people to fail, the fairies always set the terms, and if people have a the better that basically then. they let them. Right.
0: No, I mean I think, and yeah, I mean as you say, even with things like the giants and the ogres, we know where we are and we know how to. You know, <laughs> Jack the Giant Killer might seem a strange example of uh, humans negotiating with fairy creatures on established terms, but he is. I mean, he's you know he's dealing with them violently, um, but. But there is more of, as as you say, a, sort of a give and take. I think even between Jack and the Giants, um, looked at from a sort of a particular direction there. But um, but yeah, no, I mean I I think that that makes sense. Think um, for the giant parallel. Think back to Sir Launfal. We got a giant in Sir Launfal, right? That <coughs> random guy from Lombardy who challenges him to a battle, who is gigantic right um, not exactly the same as we've seen not doesn't seem to be so far as we know explicitly connected with with trio more with the fairy world that Lone falls connected with but we have we have had a giant it, but who, who who is different who feels very different I think from the lying giants. Jordan? Um I interpreted the, well, the fall giant as one of those teels from foreign parts kind of things
3: and, and the reason he's a knight is because the medieval people was, everything was um, was knights and, you know, kings. So we like, when you hear about, you know, the k what, what was it they called leopard uh, like it was some normal animal like, like a camel Leopard and because they have no idea what giraffe like the giraffe before they had any idea what to call compared There's two other animals. Right. And so just like, you're like, okay, I feel, people who are really tall. Maybe they're 15
0: feet tall in the night. Right. Though he's also fierce. I mean, with in medieval and this this is a sort of a broader theme which goes beyond just these particular fairy romances. Um, guys who are 15 feet feet tall and guys who are two feet tall uh, in medieval romances do get typecast. I mean, we're not you're not going to often find a 15-foot-tall guy in a medieval romance who's just like, I happen to be 15 feet tall, but other than that, I'm a kind, fun-loving, gentle guy. You know, I, I, I enjoy gardening and long walks on the beach. Like, they're not like that. They're just not. Normally, they're like, I eat virgins and uh, young children when I can get them. And, uh, I mean, that's... And I prefer to, like, kill knights with my bare hands, like, trample upon them and um, and rip off their heads and, and they're not the guy in Launfal is a little more knightly than usual um, in fact often and this we can see uh, in some of the other stories of the giant of Mont Saint-Michel uh, 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 Jack the Giant Killer's first giant um, he is often depicted as like the anti-knight giant like what he really likes is taking down knights and he does it in a crude and barbaric way Not in knightly fashion, Um, and Arthur, when he fights him, sort of steps down from regular knightly. They don't joust, you know. He doesn't. He 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 gets down and sort of fights him hand to hand um, on the giant's own terms. Um, Yeah, but I'm, I'm starting to range kind of far afield here. Well, let's get back to Lang. Other themes, other thoughts.
2: Okay, go ahead. Uh, one thing I thought was really interesting is that previously in medieval romances, the fairies kind of step forward to the humans like Trey does and says, okay, this is how the show is going to be run. Here are my dreams. <clears throat> but now with Lang, the fairies only kind of retroactively do that. You just stamped on my flower. Um, you have to give me that child now to make yeah. a payment for the flower
0: you just switched. Yeah. Side note, Rapunzel's kind of weird, don't you think? Um, In case you were wondering, I'm not going to be able to explain this very clearly because I don't really know. Rampion is a kind of flower with edible roots. That's why we're making salads out of it. But it is a flower, which I think is relevant because, of course, the child is named Rapunzel, which is just the German form of that exact same word, rampion. And uh, It's also called the bellflower, I guess, is one of its other names in England. I I cannot picture it. I don't know what it looks like. Um, But anyway, and you'll notice, of course, not only that the name of the girl is after the flower, but the stories are directly parallel, right? We have this woman, witch, mean person anyway, who has a garden of these flowers, which are edible. They're beautiful and edible. And the guy crawls, you know, sneaks over the wall, to steal them, and she catches him and says, how dare you? And then what happens? She gets the kid, names it after the flower, and then locks it away until a guy starts sneaking in and threatening to steal it from her, at which point she punishes him, right? So we have this this sort of recapitulation of this same story, and even the, the sort of the interesting way in which he gets punished by her, he jumps out of the tower to escape her and then is blinded, apparently accidentally, by the thorns that he falls into that spike his eyes out at the bottom of the tower. And it sort of seems like, well, that's sort of bad luck. Um, but it's not just luck. She told This is a consequence of her action. She says, she compares Rapunzel to a bird, right? The cat caught the bird, and the cat will claw your eyes out too. And then he jumps out of the tower and his eyes stabbed out by thorns, right? Which... Seems non coincidental. Um, and then she, the old woman, witch, mean person, completely drops out of the story, and we have the unexpected you catastrophe at the end where he meets her, her tears cure his eyes, and everybody, except presumably the old woman, whom we don't know what she's doing. Uh, and the parents of Rapunzel about whom nobody cares anymore live happily ever after it's an odd it's a, it's an odd kind of story um, yeah yeah. I just feel
4: like the old biddy falling out at the end is really um, consistent Cinderella's stepmother in the beginning is very prominent and then it's not um, but I also feel like it's not like you're not sitting there wondering, it's like oh well who cares and I think that's
0: something that isn't necessarily um, same in what we see in the people here. Yeah. I, there are many times that we see characters or elements of these stories that just come in, participate, and leave. Um, and I agree, that's, that's, that's pretty common. And it's, you know, whether it's something as sort of small and incidental as the mysterious fairy duck in Hansel and Gretel. Or something as seemingly more significant here as first her parents and then, uh, and then the the old mean person. Um, I, I keep hesitating because it's not. I mean, sh- does she ever do anything magical? Rapunzel's hair which is sort of the most extraordinary and unusual element of the story, which seems magical, we're not told as a product of her activity. It just grows. Like, we're just told, like, FYI, she had really, really, really long hair. And the witch takes advantage of this. Um, But, anyway, there's actually almost no obvious magic that happens in that story. Other than it seems the unknown... And therefore, presumably magical? Cause and effect between her curse of him and his getting his eyes stabbed out by thorns at the base of the uh, of the tower?
3: Uh, this is not a facetiously, although of course it's going to sound like that. Building a tower in the middle of the woods without any architectural assistance? And the reason is, it's not a joke, is because actually, when you think about it, in stories like these, the only people who have towers in the middle of the woods are the magical people. It's a sign of you being magical, you're, you're dwelling
0: on the middle of nowhere. No. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. It is a little suspect. I mean, if you live, especially if you live in a tower in the middle of the forest that you lock somebody up at the top of, it's not a good sign. You know, and people should ask questions. It's almost as bad as you know having a, a house made of cake in the middle of the woods. That's that's much weirder. But um, but no, I agree. I mean, that's. Okay, I, I keep sort of. Pausing and joking when I refer to her, I don't want to refer to her as a fairy or even as a witch because she's not clearly magical and it's not explicitly magical in this way. But again, it's hard. She's not. She's also clearly not just random old woman. Either. They do call her a witch.
3: Her. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They're afraid of her. So there's got to be a reason why they're so.
0: We don't. I mean, again, other than like the the blinding thing. I mean, I guess we sort of see like, well, you know, that that caution was prudent in the end, uh, because of course we can see apparently what she can do by by cursing people. But but it's a it's rather a non element in the story, Duncan. What about her ability
1: to uh, appear places? Is that I mean, does that mean she just kind of randomly walked in, or I'm thinking like all of a sudden she's just
0: you know standing. I don't think we have reason to think that she's like, poof, here I am. I mean, I don't, I don't think so, because we don't see that happen. Yeah, I was, I was
1: also, that was conditional too, because I was wondering why she didn't just poof into the tower.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, she's gotta use the, she's gotta climb up the hair just like, well, I was gonna say like everybody else. Of course, the point is everybody else isn't supposed to be doing it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it seems to be, it seems to be a genuine sort of like necessary mode of ingress to the tower for her too. Uh, yeah. Do I thought of this one that, well, every other
1: fairy tale villain that we've seen in the last stories so far, for the most part, it's a pretty grisly end, and that's like the justice hurts. But she does not.
0: She's just suddenly not in the story anymore. Right, and I agree. That's the one thing that I would say that I would sort of put against. Uh, just the point that you made, which I think is a very, a very good one about people falling out and are, are, are falling out of the story and are not having a problem with that, or, are, it seems like we're not supposed to have a problem with that. It's less common for like the antagonist of the story, when there is one, which there often is, just to sort of vanish. Sometimes they're dispatched conveniently and quickly, but, um, you know, as for instance, when like in one line we, you know, burn to death the washerwoman and her daughter. Uh, in the black bowl of Norway, you can't stop me from making allusions to it, um, even if you guys don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I, I think that that's that is interesting. Um, it's not that the villains always get punished, but it is unusual for them just to vanish and us to stop talking about them. Um, the story kind of moves past her in a way which doesn't normally happen, I think. Um, This leads me to one of the main questions I had, or one of the main themes that I was thinking about after reading these stories sort of the way that magic in general works. That is, when people do a thing, whether they're fairies or witches or whatever, when something happens, which is magical, obviously magical, are there different, sort of, first, are there trends that you see in how that happens? In Lang, how we see that in Lang stories, and differences or similarities with how we see magic happening in the medieval stories. It's a little unkind to ask like three big questions right in a row, and then say, "Well, um, let's start with the Lang stories. Themes of how magic is used in the Lang stories. Let's begin there." Robbie. It's not kind of a general observation, but in some of them, they the
2: fairies telling you to do the magic first, and then you screw all the other after you know.
0: Can you give me an example? What are you thinking of? The
2: Okay. She
0: makes it and tells him what to do with it, and he still, like,
2: ruined by the rings and life, and then.
3: Good. The Good. In a cave
0: for like more decades or something. Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely see. A connection between, for instance, the enchanted ring and Aladdin's lamp, right? Where you have sometimes magic which is at the at the will of human is placed at the will of human beings, Um, and then what they choose to do with it determines uh, determines what happens. Now, to some extent, we can see. we can see some magic things being placed, like in Lanfal, for instance, right? When he's given things like the magic bag of gold uh, and the horse who never openly displays magical attributes that we know of, but he's still a fairy horse. And I'm, uh, I do not know, like, he's not, you know, we don't get, though it would have been cool, things like we see, you know, like, you know, Gifra is to other squires what the horse is to other horses. It would have been kind of cool to see you know, like the fairy horse in action. But anyway, she gives him magical magical things to do with SEO. And especially, I would point to the bag of gold, right? Because that he uses. And how does he use it? Monfo? The magic bag of gold? He uses it for charity. Yeah. He, he, he becomes the most generous guy around. You know, given an, given, given a, 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 an unlimited supply of wealth, he gives it away all over the place, right? Um, that's a good choice. Just as when the good brother is given the enchanted ring, he does good things with it. Um, and when the bad brother is given the ring, he does bad things with it. One of my favorite elements from that story, right? And the fairy comes, ah, you're down on your luck, I shall bless you. Here's an enchanted ring. And they're like, ooh, the bad brother, he's very bra- bad. I will curse him. I'm going to give him the same magic ring, right? Uh, that's a really evocative moment, I think, in that story, right? That really sort of um, points to, uh, to to very interesting, uh, but pretty clear moral, I think. Okay?
2: One thing I thought was interesting with Lang is that
4: almost all the magic
2: is linked to, to items, and most of them are food. Like the black Bo- bowl of Norway, she has three different types of food. Uh, Snowdrop has the apple. Uh, There's the flower to the Twelve Brothers, which you can. Never mind, you can't eat lilies, (laughs) they're poisonous. And then there's the beans. Like all of these could,
0: in theory, be a food item. Yeah, yeah. There is a food trend. That is interesting. Um, When you think of the things that he takes, the Items that he takes from the castle, they're mostly wealth related. Like you've got the chicken and the eggs, but that's not a food thing, that's a money thing, right? And you've got the, uh, the harp, one of the harp is different. But I agree, no, I that mean, that's it's definitely uh, there's definitely a trend there.
3: Jordan? Um, something that's true in both the line stories and the medieval stories is that magic almost never has a direct over on the The closest we get is transformations, but you know, magic never strikes people. It never um, forces them to do anything. It, it can place curses on them. It can uh, it can show them alternate means of doing things. So it can be an item that, acts, that allows them to act in a way they would not otherwise by being invisible. But you never get magic just like directly affecting the wall, world say, a separate information, which is kind of pretty direct, but also in some way different, because you stop the person you are who used to be under it, and once they broken the, you know,
0: broken. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think the the counter-example I would give, which I don't think is amounts to disagreement, um, is Aladdin. Thinking of like the the palace that he makes and stuff. That is, he makes stuff happen. The genie makes stuff happen. Notification to people. To people. The world can
3: be changed sometimes, especially with wealth. But people are never ultimately
0: directly affected. It's always about people's actions. More right. Than one, as much as the magic is When the magic affects them. Right. And their choices. No, I, I mean think of, for instance, Beauty and the Beast, where we see all of this magic. Around beauty, right? You know, surrounding her and and sh- her being served, and her even you know her whims being served. Like even that moment where she's like, "Gosh, I wish my bedroom were right next to this room." And oh look, there's a door into my bedroom, right? I mean, it's but yet the one thing that is never touched, as you say, is her herself. It's still at the end of the day her and her own will, which has to be turned to say, "I want to marry the beast," um, and that's the entire focus of that entire situation. Um, What do you think? Does that seem to work? Can anybody think of sort of counter examples or further illustrations of that? Where magic is not used the premise being that magic is not used to to dominate people or to control people or to even curses. Like we've got the fairy who's going to curse Sleeping Beauty to death when she pricks the, the spindle, which is, of course, then altered by the second blessing or the subsequent blessing. But even that... It's the spindle, not the fairy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I prophesy that she's going to prick her hand on the spindle, get a nasty case of sepsis, and uh, die a swift death thereafter. Possibly. Possibly. Uh, just what were you thinking?
4: Um, just talking about magic, not necessarily dumbly. I know I keep going back to Cinderella; it's just like my go-to fairy tale. <laughs> um, the the fairy godmother—it's all to um, enhance Cinderella, but it doesn't really have any negative effect on anyone else.
0: Yeah, and, and enhance is a good word too. It doesn't change her; it just alters her circumstances and conditions I mean like her clothes and and her and her attendance so let's take some 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 you know some rats and and some mice and uh you know uh, and transform them and make them into her attendance but she still is who she is yeah she's
4: not saying you are terrible and re- an idiot let's right. make you smarter right. it's something that's already there that she's just making better or possible
0: and even when we have something about a person being altered, as when, um, as when, uh, <laughs> I almost said what's her name, then I remembered. Oh yeah, she doesn't have a name. Uh, the the girl in the three dwarfs story, um, when the dwarfs say they're going to bless her with becoming more and more beautiful every day, right? That's, even that seems to be, based on everything else we've seen from her, simply, we're going to make visibly manifest outwardly the character that she already has. It's not, we're going to transform her into a good person. It is, she is a good person, and we are going to make that obvious to everybody. She, the things that she says are good things. And therefore, we're going to, we're going to tag that by having gold literally dropping out of her mouth. Right To sort of literalize the metaphor that already is true, right we're going to make her grow more and more beautiful, meaning to other people she's going to seem more and more lovely and more and more desirable again, not an alteration of her, just helping people to recognize what already is and of course this the same is true in reverse of the bad sister right or the bad stepsister in that case, like okay, she wasn't having amphibians leap out of her mouth previously, but that is, again, a sort of a literalization, an outward literalization of what was already happening to some extent. That is, her words were, were ugly. Toads, The Toads Union would not appreciate this story, of course, but I think we have to accept the fact that Toads are supposed to be repulsive. Apologies to Toads, but that seems to be uh, the emphasis there. Okay?
2: What about the princess from Sleeping Beauty? The fairies directly change her. They make her Uh, the most beautiful person in the world. The next, that she would be, she would have the wit of an angel. Apparently angels are very intelligent. (laughs) The third, that she would have a wonderful grace in everything she did. The fourth, that she would dance perfectly well The fifth That she would sing like a nightingale. And the sixth, that she could play all types of music. So these are direct changes to her personality. In infancy.
0: So we have no way of judging whether this is... Enhancement, uh, to use Jess's word, or, yeah, I mean, and the parents seem to enter into it with that understanding, right? Like, if we play our cards right here, we can get, like, a, you know, super daughter out of this, right? Um, which they kind of do, temporarily anyway. I'm not sure what to do with that, and mostly because I can't think of any other examples that are like that. The rest of them seem to fit into that pattern, but that's a good example. I don't know. Yeah, Christine? I think whether or
1: not there are direct changes to the character that it seems like the magic plays the role of helping some sort of fulfillment of desires on the protagonist because by the beginning we're we're automatically made to side with them not just because we start the story with them but because like the male characters like Jack like like, you know, heroic, eager, and then the female characters is all, you know, very kind and obedient, and they're just seemingly so wonderful that it's gotten to the point, at least for me, that I've just stopped caring about lack of explanation, so at the end of Rapunzel, I'm just like, yes, the magic t-. like, I was perfectly fine with everything being okay, and after two sentences, like, I was just like, awesome! <laughs> so, like, Like, I just sort of, like, realized, like, the the fulfillment of those desires for these characters um, was, I think, or is, I think, the the big thing for the magic in the
0: Yeah, and the fulfillment of desires. Yeah. Bringing that back to Sleeping Beauty. Okay, here we go, Kat. I have a counter-argument, right? Here it is. If we just objectify the daughter, we're fine. That is, it's the desires of the parents that are being not manipulated but fulfilled. And if you think about it, Sleeping Beauty didn't do anything through that entire story. Um, like other than her brief and sort of kindly but unmemorable exchange with the random old spinning woman with the contraband spinning wheel up in the attic or whatever. Um, but other than that exchange, we get almost nothing from her. The story is all about other people's attitudes towards her and thoughts about her. Her parents first, all the way up through her uh, being cast into sleep, and then the prince afterwards. And she becomes a sort of an object in the story, operate on this, operating on the same level as her quasi-allegorically named children. Uh, remember the boy and the girl, like you know, Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um. Yes. Um. But as I said, she's she's still completely passive. I mean, the whole ogress mother-in-law sequence at the end. She's an almost complete non-character in that. She like it's her and the two children who are like the victims, and it's the it's the servant in the castle who gets them out of it. She doesn't have you know her like moment of resourcefulness or anything. She's just you know the deer is offered up instead of her, and then she's off living with her children. Um, she does almost nothing. She's the focus of the prince, and she's the focus of the parents in advance. So if we like don't think of her as a human being, then we're fine problems okay it's not a totally satisfying counterargument um, but that does kind of seem to be how it operates though that itself is sort of interesting because there aren't that many other stories that seem to work like that that have a, a central figure like a titular figure which is kind of a, a cipher like that kind of a placeholder in the way that sleeping beauty is in the reading I just gave of it so maybe I'm Maybe I'm paying too steep a cost for that particular reading, but I don't know. Christine?
1: And I guess going off of my last comment, um, I think I made a comment of this in the discussion board, but it's I noticed that most of the villains, like a couple of them are acting through je- or by jealousy, but most of them just seem to want like, either wealth or food. To be honest, like, like the like the dwarf in the Snow White and Red Rose and um, um, what else? Aladdin, that's well. Jack and the Beanstalk, the giant. Well, he wants food and wealth.
0: Right, he wants food (laughs) and gets wealth instead. Yeah, Jack does. Yeah. And then like
1: for other ones, like the dwarf in Rumpelstiltskin. Supposedly, it seems to
0: want food. The ogres and taken Beauty food. So then, um... even in even in Snowdrop, right? The bizarre element. Um, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs Disney film is sort of truer to the plot of that story than most of the Disney films of stories that we've read. I mean it sticks pretty close, except of course for the whole, bring back her lungs and liver and I shall eat them with salt. Right? That's not in the Disney film. But but it's interesting because we get an eating element there too. Right? Um she's she's not merely she's not like the ogres mother in law, right? I just have a hankering for, you know, my stepdaughter uh, as dinner, but it's like the now I have to totally conquered her and I shall feast upon her lungs. Um, lungs? Why about lungs? I couldn't get over that in that story. Go ahead. And for that same story, like the fact that she's
1: just so easily and like quickly tempted by like the queens, like the comb and the apple, like it's just... You, I like. I found myself being like, no, don't come on, come on. <laughs> right. like, yeah, come, come on. on, exactly
3: right. Yeah, exactly. Just, like, just sort of like,
1: sort of rooting for her and like wanting, like again, just this clash of interests and desires. Like, you know, we could re rewrite, re-write a lot of these tales in like in the perspective of like maybe say dwarf in still I think it's yeah, Rumpel. No, uh, in um. Snow White and Sorry, Red Rose, Red Rose and, like, yeah. from his perspective, and maybe, like, you know, it, there's a famine in the dwarf family,
0: and, like, he really needs this treasure. That's right. I've just got to make ends meet for my little long-bearded dwarf family.
1: Then <laughs> we'd be rooting for him, but we're not, and,
0: you know. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I do think, and coming back to what you said before, Christine, it is certainly money and food. Money and food. I mean, how many of these stories come down to something other than money and food, right? I mean, that's a, whether we're talking about eating food objects, like Kat mentioned before, having magical food objects, or eating people, right? Either the good guys or the bad guys are eating. Um, in almost all of these stories, it's food and money, food and money, um, a very, a very dominant theme, whereas you'll notice food and money are involved lots of the times, in the medieval stories, but not in the same way, right? Um, <laughs> what does Lanfau get from Triamar? There's food and money involved, but that's not what's primarily on his mind, right? Um, now, some of that we can say is one consequence of this now being a children's genre, right? Uh, that is, the, the the sexual dimension, we're just removing, mostly, not entirely, but mostly, right? Um, but yet, even with Launfal, it obviously, it's not, it's not down to food and money. I mean, again, you think of the difference between what Launfal does with the never-ending supply of money when he gets it and what Aladdin does with the never-ending supply of money when he gets it, right? Um, different, a different world. Um, final questions?
1: uh, Like it being a children's genre, uh, children are much more involved in the the more recent ones than the medieval poetry. Like they weren't ever mentioned at all in the medieval poetry, so they're all over the place in the language.
0: Yeah, no, it's true that, and that has a complicated consequence, I think. it is not merely that children become the protagonist of many of the stories, as in Hansel and Gretel, um, but even when children are not themselves the protagonists, there's still an interest in the story. Whether even if it's just sort of having children or raising children or something like that, even that is uh, um, when children become the objects, like the the two different "Give me your firstborn child" stories that we've had. Um. thank you have fun um, this should be a good time next time we will begin the fantasy genre near its very beginning with the guy with the most awesome name of anyone on the syllabus by far okay in the next class we officially move into the 20th century with the work of Baron Edward Morton Drax Plunkett Lord Dunsany And if you think I'm going to go out of my way to use his indescribably awesome full name whenever I can squeeze it in, you are absolutely correct. For the next class, read the first half of the Book of Wonder, pages 1 to 26 in our edition. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.